Okay, grab a wee seat. If you're here, I just want to bless you as I get started. So I bless you today in Jesus' name to see God move in the ways that you need Him to, to see answers to your prayers, to be healed in your body and in your mind, and to overflow with unshakable peace and joy. Amen. Good morning, church. Good morning, friends in the building. Good morning, friends online. I'm kind of sad I don't have my phone. I can't see um, just all of you who are here, but I know that you're here, and it's so good that we can be together on this gloriously sunny spring day in Glasgow. And wow, what a spring we're having so far. I was out the other day, and I was in botanics, and it was like clear blue skies everywhere, hardly a cloud in the sky, but it was snowing. It was snowing, and everyone around was like, What's going on? Like, are we in the Truman Show and someone's forgotten to flick a switch? Really weird, really weird. The weather so far in our Glasgow spring has been as unpredictable as basically everything else in life, but I, I still love spring. It's my favorite season. I love it because it means Easter and it means animals, baby animals. It means cherry blossoms are blooming. It means the long-awaited end of winter. I am so ready to be like, goodbye, winter. <laughs> see you never, hopefully. Um, it's been so good to see that spring has sprung here in our city. Um, now, last time I was here doing this, I spoke about gutsy faith, which, is, uh, which was the first of one of our core values that we have as a church here at Rehope. And today, I want to share on the second of those, which is that we want to be people who live lives that are saturated in prayer and in the Bible. We want to live a prayer and Bible-saturated life here. What does that mean? What does that look like? Here at Rehope, across all four locations of our church, we want to be people who are uh, soaked in, completely saturated by the things of God. So spring is here, and because spring is here, um, we are anticipating summer, which is uh, amazing. But spring is better than summer because you've still got the hope of summer. So in summer, you're kind of like, oh, summer's going to end. But in spring, you're like, summer is coming. And as we've been getting ready for summer, um, I've had my spring-summer haircut has anyone else had, a, had their hair cut in Scotland this week? No, not yet. Yes, Lynn. Yes, we're getting our kind of spring summer haircuts. I feel like I could probably have got a little bit more off to get my money's worth, but I have had a haircut. I've also been getting ready for our Scottish summer by um, lathering myself in that Dove self-tanning lotion because I, I just think, like, I'm not, I'm not getting anywhere. I'm not going to get a tan this year. So I've sort of just been um, doing it for myself. And it has reminded me of a time when I was younger when at the dinner table one night I looked to my dad and saw to my kind of wonderment that his hands were orange. The palms of his hands were orange. I was like, huh, oh, that's interesting. I mean, my dad's a little eccentric, but like, this is new. Um, orange hands, okay, interesting. And then when I looked a little closer, I saw that he also had like these kind of orange lines just here and here on his face. And as it transpired, he had been for weeks Little by little, day by day, using what he thought was my mom's moisturizer and just sort of rubbing it into his hands and going like that. Not knowing that he had been staining himself with fake tan over weeks. I want to talk about living a prayer and Bible-saturated life today because as people, we are spongy. Our souls are spongy. We soak things up. We're always soaking things up. And I know that in my life, if I don't pay attention to what I'm soaking up, to what I'm covering myself in, 
then before I know it, I look in the mirror and I find that I'm, I'm stained, I'm marked by stuff that I never knew I was putting on, by stuff that was never mine to put on, borrowed stuff. I am not made to soak up apathy and fear and anger and like low-key resentment. I'm not made to soak all of those things up, but I'm always soaking things up. And when I'm squeezed, I soak things up even more. But a full sponge won't fill up anymore. And so here at Rehope, we want to be so saturated in the things of God that there is no room for us to soak up and carry lies, fear, um, false gods that won't satisfy us. The word saturate or saturated means to contain all of a substance that can be absorbed. So this message isn't about us striving for more of God out of fear, but it's about opening ourselves up, allowing ourselves to receive all of Him, more of Him, which is always abundantly more than we could even expect or hope for. It's like dropping a sponge into a bath. It doesn't work to soak up the water. It just does. My hope today is that as we just spend a little bit of time thinking about this, that God will ignite a hunger in us for this, for prayer, for His Word, and that will lead us to then allow Him to like wring out of us anything that we have soaked up, anything that we are carrying that is a weight that is actually not of Him and that we don't need to carry, that we'd have soft hearts towards the things of God and be people who look to things like prayer and the Bible, not as things that we do or that we have to do or we feel obliged to do, but things that we love, things that we live out of. I sometimes think that we look at a knowing God through prayer and the Bible as if it is our two Weedabix in the morning. Now, no, no offense to people who love Weedabix. Anyone love Weedabix? Would anyone say that Sophie Kritika loves Weedabix? I don't believe it is possible to love Weedabix. Weedabix, Weedabix is like, it's fine. It'll, it'll sustain you, but it's boring and it's soggy and it's fine. And I think sometimes we look at like knowing God through prayer in the Bible as like two Weedabix in the morning, when in reality it's like the all-you-can-eat buffet breakfast at the Sleeve Donard Hotel in Northern Ireland, where there's like a whiskey-flavored honey to go on your porridge and four different types of fruit juice. There's just endless goodness to explore and enjoy. That's what knowing God through prayer in the Bible is like. It's not your two Weedabix. If you love Weedabix, the image doesn't work for you, but I'm assuming that you are the exception and not the rule. In our long Easter Saturday life, we get to wait on God differently. We spoke a little bit last weekend about how, for us, life feels a lot like Easter Saturday sometimes. We're, we're waiting. We are looking ahead into sometimes what feels like a fog, thinking, okay, God, where are you in this? When are you going to come back, Jesus? We live this long Easter Saturday life, but it is crucially different too. I feel like God has spoken to me about that this week, that yes, I might be living my long Easter Saturday life, but it is different because I'm not just staring into the fog, but actually God is with me and I get to live off his abundance. Jesus said it was better that he goes away and sends his Holy Spirit for this in-between moment. I get to live off the abundance of God, even in the midst of pain, things that are difficult, delay, disappointment, all of that as well. And I, I used to read passages like Isaiah 40 where it says, those who wait on or hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles, run and not grow weary, walk and not be faint. And I used to be encouraged about very specific things that I was waiting for on God, which wasn't wrong, but 
it was as if I didn't grasp fully that my whole life would be me waiting on God, putting my hope in God and needing him to be the one who would renew my strength as I do that, as I live out my life waiting on him, hoping in him. I've found this last season of life, this last kind of COVID chapter and beyond to be simultaneously at points the least enjoyable and most amazing because in it I have so obviously known God to be my portion because everything else at points has felt lacking. Everything else has felt absent or things have fallen short and he has been the source of every good thing for me in this season. Maybe it's felt like a wilderness season for you too. And maybe like me, you have experienced how nothing but his presence can actually renew your strength inside. Because I know when I have tried to run off the last good thing to happen, it was like, it's like running off sugar. It's, it's nice, it's, but it's superficial. And it gives me those kind of like highs and lows. And it always just leaves me wanting more of it. Or when I try to run off my latest addictive compulsion, it's like I'm running off coffee and the love is unrequited and I'm totally dependent, but then I do crash. If we try to live off crumbs, we will go hungry. But if we go after lives that are saturated in the things of God, then even in urgent prayer for things to change, even as we look to our world and desperately want God to act, we will not be desperate. We will not live as desperate people, but we will live satisfied in Him. And this isn't theory for me, as we think about prayer and Bible-saturated life, it's not theory for me because this value at this church changed my life. Uh, I grew up in a Christian home. I knew Jesus from a young age. I went to a wonderful church in Northern Ireland. And when I came over here, I studied the Bible at university through a nearly exclusively secular academic lens. And I don't regret that, but it really did impact my understanding and my relationship with the text in lots of complex ways. I was taught to hold the Bible at an arm's length. I was taught not to trust it. I was taught to scrutinize it. And the Bible wasn't written to be read with a hard, critical heart, but that is how I started to read it and to piece it apart and to write about it. And suddenly I found that not, not suddenly, uh, gradually over time, I found that its words were um, just falling on hard ground, definitely not being absorbed. I definitely wasn't soaking it up, living by it, being changed by it. I was taught not to proof text. I was taught that I couldn't take um, a portion or a verse or a passage and then understand the whole by it, which is fine. I was also taught, though, that I couldn't use my understanding of the whole to inform my understanding of particular passages and verses. And so I was left with fragments I was left with things that I still believed to be true, things I was doubting, things I was questioning, passages that I struggled with hugely because I couldn't find any key to understanding what God was saying through them. I successfully wrote a master's thesis on how young women of my age understand and interpret the Bible, but I was left feeling cold and cautious. And because I'd grown up in a Christian tradition where hearing from God basically started and ended with the Bible, because I was struggling to get glimpses of him through its pages, I expected to struggle to get glimpses of him in my whole life. And because I felt cold and cautious towards the Bible, I felt that way towards him too. And a turning point moment for me was arriving into an environment where the Bible was loved and not 
tolerated for the purpose of study, not torn apart, but actually read cover to cover and loved. And I remember sitting somewhere over there and listening to Brian preach on the Bible and hearing him tell stories of, of the books of the Bible and communicating, focusing on the incredible message from God within its pages and not who the author was, whether we know who the author was, when it was written, and all these questions that we can ask of it. And slowly my soul remembered the God who speaks through the Bible, that he has more authority than the, than the good questions that you can ask about it. Bible read-through became like my Bible rehab, where I went from studying the Bible at a distance to just sitting in it, allowing it to, to soak me, to cover me. And I absolutely read it in light of itself and read it as a story, as one story. And that changed everything for me. And alongside this learning of the many ways that I could hear from the God of the Bible, that I could hear his voice, that he was speaking to me, meant that prayer changed for me from feeling like this kind of string of unanswered texts or, you know, a dial tone at the end of a phone where you kind of think, okay, is someone getting my message or are they not, to this life-giving conversation where I was like, wow, this God, this God that I'm discovering again, he, he speaks to me, he sees my situation, he sees the details of my little life and it completely rocked my world. Now, I'm a total how person. I want, if, I, if I'm going to get a theory of something or if I'm going to be told to do something, I want to know how. I want to know all of the hows behind something. But today, I, I don't want to think about how to live a prayer and Bible-saturated life. I want to think about why we want to, just a little. Because our hope would be that here at Rehope, you see all of the hows in basically everything that we do. The hows are Bible read-through, it's pre-service prayer, it's midweek prayer, it's prayer week, Bible week, Bible teaching. All of those things are the hows. And those are just the hows here. You've, you'll have plenty of hows beyond that as well. But I want to think about the, the whys for a moment. So just three uh, reasons why today, and there are many more, but this is just what, um, what God brought to my mind this week. So why do we go after a prayer and Bible-saturated life here? Firstly, because we have access to more, because we can, basically. We go after a prayer and Bible-saturated life because we can, because Jesus didn't die for us, that we would have drips and flashes of God. He died so that we could have full access, so that we could come in to save us from total separation from God, for total clo closeness and knowledge of God, eternal life being knowing God right now, knowing God. He opened the door to God by his blood and we can come in. I think sometimes I still think that I need to approach God like six-year-old Laura creeping down to the door of the good room in my house and kind of putting my ear to the door to hear if I can hear what my parents and their guests are talking about and somehow feel included. When in reality, I can, I can approach God like this girl. Do you remember this girl that we'll see hopefully on the screen? Is there a picture? Could I? Oh, guys, don't make me do a reenactment. You know the girl who, when her dad was getting interviewed because he was a journalist, and she walked into the room like this, like barged through the door? Yes, we remember her. Um, we can approach God like that. We can barge in. We can go straight in with confidence, with boldness, because no part of that girl thought, my dad is too busy or my dad is too important for me to come in right now. Now, that's where the image ends, because actually God likes us approaching him that way. God wants us to come in. Her dad not as pleased, but God wants us to come in. In James 4, 8, it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. 
It makes me think of Moses and the burning bush. There's a little bit in Exodus 3 where it says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, God called to him from the bush, Moses. When the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. God saw that he'd come over to look, and he spoke to him from that place. James says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. He wants us to open that door, to walk through, to barge in. Moses was extraordinary. These kind of encounters in the Old Testament were extraordinary, but in Hebrews, we read um, that now because of Jesus, we've been fully forgiven, and we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, and by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain. That is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and the foolish that faith brings. Let us draw near because we can, because we have a great priest over the house of God, because we have been forgiven. The door has been opened by his blood. The door to more of God is open, but will we go for it? Will we go through? Paul writes about the state of our before in Ephesians 2. He says, at that time, so before you knew Christ, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. That is our before, without hope, without God in the world. If we've given our lives to Jesus, that is not our present reality. Our present reality is the opposite of that, that we are people who live with hope and with God in the world. That should define our experience. And if it doesn't, then there is more on offer for us. We can live with hope and with God in the world. Paul goes on in Ephesians and says, at that time you were separate from Christ without hope, without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We've been brought in, we've been brought near and not for scraps, not for the bare minimum, but like the prodigal son brought near. Brought near for all the riches of God, clothed in the, the fancy robe, given the feast, not the scraps off the table. The second reason why we go after a prayer and Bible-saturated life here is that God is ready to give more. God is ready to give us more. If you don't feel like you are living with hope and with God in the world, then God has more for you to discover of him. And even if you do feel like you're living with hope and with God in the world, he has more to give you of himself. God isn't stingy. God's generous. And we have a stingy view sometimes of God's generosity because we are stingy. But ironically, we're also quite generous in what we will call generosity. We're rarely radically generous as people because generosity is a readiness to give and to give more than is expected. But even radical human generosity rarely goes beyond what is expected of generosity. But God is actually generous. He is ready to give and to give more than is expected. And because we live in a world where we expect things to be a bit tight, to be a bit stingy, it totally rocks our world if things are not that way, if we get something that is more than we expected. For way of an illustration, Naomi and I went to Broken Clock the other day, and we had to make the impossible decision between a cardamom bun and a hazelnut and chocolate swirl. And like any self-respecting people, was that a vote? Were you? cardamom bun. Just wait and see. Just wait and see. We asked the man, what, what is good? What would you pick? And he said, both are good, which is obviously a completely useless opinion to have. 
So we decided cardamom bun, okay? We picked the cardamom bun. We said, thank you, Naomi Page. Thank you, Naomi. We stepped away from the man. Then we opened the bag and realized that he had given us both. Not so, oh, that's nice. Yes, really, really nice. We were delighted, but also we were appalled because we hadn't said thank you in a way that was appropriate when someone gives you something for free. We had just said thank you. We'd not used the right tone that you use in Scotland if someone gives you something for free. We did not use the right expression. We did not gush enough. We just said thank you like normal people and stepped away and he'd given us something for free. Now, Park Road is maybe holy ground because another day we were just walking and we walked past the shutters of Sonny and Vito's and the man just popped out and gave us each a bag with two free scones, four free scones. Now, there's very little in life that is more enjoyable to us than getting more than you paid for. And perhaps the only thing that is more enjoyable than that is getting something that you didn't pay for at all. Four free scones. When we come to God in prayer and in reading his word, we are not giving back to him. We're not giving anything to him. We come open-handed and he gives it all for free. He gives it all. We're not giving to him. And he's ready to give more. I'm going to look at John chapter 6 here briefly um, and just see what Jesus shows us of God's generous character. So it's the feeding of the 5,000. And fun fact is that the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle apparently to appear in all four of the Gospels. I'm going to read from John's account. So chapter 6 starts with this. It says, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he'd performed by healing those who were ill. So John starts his retelling of this miracle by shining a light on the people, the crowd, this great crowd who are following Jesus because they see that he's healing people and they know that they need him too. So how does Jesus respond to the fact that they want to be close to him? When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him for he already had in mind what he was going to do. He asks people, he asks Philip directly, where will we get food for these people to eat? Where will we get bread for these people to eat? Where do we get what they need? And here we see in Philip uh, demonstrated the, we've, we've got the people's need on one side. We've got Jesus's presence. And then we have the kind of instinctive worldly answer that Philip gives here. And we see how it just won't do. It just isn't enough. It falls short. It would take everything. It would take half a year's wages and they would get a bite, Philip says. Worldly answers are obviously the things that quite often come to mind first for us, and they're logical, and they make some degree of sense, and yet they leave people with a bite. For way of an example, it's like we, we ache for peace in our minds and in our hearts. We just have a need to be at peace. We need peace. We ache for that. And the world says, have a bath and do a face mask. And you're like, it's fine, but it's a bite. It's not going to satisfy that need. Andrew then speaks up in this story. He says, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will he go among so many? Here's what we have. Here's what we can see. But in the same breath, how far will they go? All that we can muster out of our own supply will not go very far. Trying to feed a need for something that only God can give will just leave you hungry for more. It will not satisfy. But then Jesus shows through this multiplication miracle what it is like when he gives, when he's the one who gives. It says, Jesus said, make, make the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. As much as they wanted. 
In the other gospel accounts, the disciples say to Jesus, send them away to buy bread. Send them, to, send them elsewhere. Send them to the bread shop. <laughs> send them to the other sources of what they need. But Jesus does not. And he reveals himself instead to be an abundant source of what they need. They're going to not just have a bite. They're going to have as much as they want of the food that he has to give them. When they'd all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. I love this image because in my mind, I imagine each disciple holding a basket of leftovers. The weighty evidence, a literal sign for them that with this man in front of them, with Jesus, there's always going to be more than enough. And I wondered this week, I thought, God, why why didn't Jesus just provide the exact right amount? Why did he provide more than was needed? And then he reminded me that later on, the disciples would worry again about supply and about lack. And Jesus would remind them of this miracle. And they, I wonder if they would remember holding that basket, holding the basket, 12 baskets, one for each of them, holding a basket. And they would know that no matter what absence or lack or want that they would face, that with Jesus, there is more than enough that he is able to provide more than enough. Maybe right now you're in a, a season where you see just a lack and you're worried. Maybe there's fear because you're like, this just isn't here. I don't have it. I don't know where it's going to come from. And maybe Jesus wants to say to you today, remember, remember when I gave you more than enough before. Remember that previous time. Hold the basket again. Feel the weight of it. Remember, I gave you more than enough before. I can do it again. A prayer and Bible-saturated life is our way to the plenty of God, even when everything in our life is lacking, even when every practical thing, every earthly thing feels absent. It's our way to plenty, the unlimited supplies that God has to give. The third and final why for us today, why go after a prayer and Bible-saturated life, is that more of God will change our lives right now, and it will change our experience of life right now. Because no matter what we need, or no matter what I think I need from him right now, I know that more of him will satisfy, will keep me going, will sustain me, because God's presence is our stream in the Negev. In the midst of limits and dryness and frustration, God's presence is our stream of hope. His Holy Spirit poured out on us is our unlimited source of life. It's our water of life. Now, Brian taught a few weeks ago about the Negev, and he taught about how the word means dry, and that the biblical Negev was a very dry place. And in this dry land there, where there were streams, there is life and there is hope. And where there isn't, there isn't life and there isn't hope. And in the absences and in the waiting and the uncertainties and in this moment of our life, in the wilderness seasons of our lives, we need a stream. We need a life-giving source. We need God's presence to be that stream for us, to be our water of life. We know that David spent some time living in that dry place, and he writes in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Can we just can we just speak that out today? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Will you say that with me? Three, two, one. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Maybe if you're at home, just write that down. I know that I have times where um, I do not have a ton of, of the Bible memorized, but bits like this, I, I love Psalm 23. It's probably my favorite Psalm. And I know I often turn to God and I think I'm lacking, I'm lacking, I'm lacking. And I just have to speak that, that, 
that psalm over myself again. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I lack nothing. No matter what I feel like right now, I lack nothing because his presence as my living stream of hope in my life means that even in seasons that feel marked by absence and lack, he leads me to what I need. He leads me by quiet waters. He leads me by quiet waters even in the dry seasons of life. And as he leads us by his voice in prayer, by his map in his word, it changes our experience of life. It means that, like David, even though I walk through the darkest valley, in the darkest moments of your life, in the most difficult seasons, he writes, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. It makes a difference. And we don't pursue a prayer and Bible-saturated life to be saturated in an activity or to be saturated in a text, but to be saturated in, in God and the things of him. So that in that valley, we say, I fear no evil, for you are with me. You're around me. You're in front of me. You're behind me. You're here. We don't have to live in fear. And I love how David writes that in, in the presence of his enemies, God sets the table for him. That even in the presence of his enemies, in the presence maybe of uh, problems yet unsolved, that is where God says, sit with me here. Stay with me here. He anoints his head with oil. His cup overflows, which is just an image of the host filling his cup to say, stay here, even in the presence of your enemies. And I think, God, wow, to think that you would want me to sit and feast with you in the midst of unsolved problems, maybe unanswered prayers, maybe things that I'm still waiting on. You actually fill up my cup here. You want me to stay with you here. And how I do that is through prayer and through his word. Now, as I finish and I uh, get towards the end, I heard someone mention this week that Jesus' disciples saw everything. They saw everything. They saw the healings. They saw the miracles. They saw him drive out demons. They saw him raise people from the dead. But the one thing they asked to be taught was teach us to pray. It's like they knew, they saw that in all of it, in all of the, the wonderful things that Jesus did and was, there was one source there was one source, and prayer is our key. Prayer is our way to the source directly. Prayer is, is the start and the end of it all. And if there was one how, I, I'm, I'm going to plug one how today, and it's pre-service prayer. And the reason I, I plug it is because I believe that it is like Rehope's prayer gym, where through repetition and commitment and stretching, God is teaching us how to pray. He's teaching us how to pray. And we know that right now, and, and just with the current restrictions, it, there's, there's lots of things that are actually lovely about meeting in smaller groups because it means we get to actually, we see people. There's, there's not so much of a kind of like a chaotic, like in and out, as much as that was fun too. Like we get to see people, we get to gather with smaller groups of people, but also it means that you don't ever see everyone at once. And maybe some of you are like, wow, I haven't seen, there's people I haven't seen in this church in months because maybe they go to an evening service and I go to the morning or you're, you're gathering online and someone's gathering in the building and we're not crossing over. But what if pre-service prayer, while it is on Zoom, is our chance to all gather? It could be, it's our one meeting place. It's our, it's our like well of water in the middle that we can all gather around. It's like the green room for a group of actors about to go onto the stage or like, I don't know, a team huddle? What do teams do before they go out and play sports? Like, it's our, it's our thing that we come to before we go together. It's our one chance to all gather together. And what if, what if it actually looked like that? I think I would be filled with wow and wonder if I, I switched on pre-service prayer some Sunday and I was like, wow, everyone's here. The whole gang's here. It would be amazing. It would be so good. 
Maybe it's just a dream, but I think it would be incredible. Pre-service prayer, maybe you're like, what even is it? It's a, a simple but significant time. We keep short accounts. We repent together. We spend time doing that every single week. We cry out, God, let your kingdom come, which Jesus taught us to do. We cover every element of our service to come in prayer, knowing that unless God breathes on it, it doesn't matter. It's not going to do anything. We pray for our city. Maybe you're, maybe you're like, feel burdened to pray for Glasgow. We pray for Glasgow every week at pre-service prayer and, and come and join us and bring your particular burdens for our city as well. We pray for salvations. We pray believing that this is a time of the harvest and we pray and we hear each other pray and it builds up our faith. It encourages us. We listen to God as well. Pre-service prayer is a great first step or it's a great training ground for living a prayer-saturated life and I dare you to save the link to save the link, come along, join us. No matter where you are in the world, come along and join us for pre-service prayer. And maybe you wonder, why, why do we need to do this together, though? Why do I need to join another Zoom call? Or why do I need to um, gather with a church in a building? Or, you know, I can kind of do this by myself. I can live a prayer and Bible-saturated life by myself. And there's lots we can do by ourselves. But I was walking the other day, and I asked Jesus this because I felt in my gut, I was like, God, I know we need to do this together, but would you just help me remember why? And I felt like he reminded me that we are sheep. We're sheep. <laughs> I am a sheep, and sheep don't do well on their own. And the shepherd leads sheep together. And if he's leading a sheep by itself, it's because it's lost. And he's leading it back to the flock. And so I know in 1 Peter it says, your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I don't want to be on the very outskirts of the flock. I want to be right in the middle of it. And I want Jesus to always lead me back to the flock because the church is flawed and imperfect and just full of people who are flawed and imperfect, but it is God's master plan, and it's our family, and it's our home, and this is where we learn how to live a prayer and Bible-saturated life together. I've got some challenges today, and they're simple, but they're what I thought of, and they're what's worked for me in the past, and the first one is find someone who loves the Bible and spend time with them. Spend time with them, listen to how they speak about it, read it with them. Find someone who loves prayer and spend time with them. Find someone, find your Ruth Weller, you know, find someone who has the gift of faith and praise knowing that God is real and good and spend time with them. And then finally, throw yourself in the bath or if we're thinking God, maybe throw yourself in the ocean, you know, let yourself um, soak up those things. Join a Bible read through or prioritize your Bible read through and commit to pre-service prayer every week for the next month and then beyond. But commit for the next month, see how you get on. Uh, we'd love you to join us at that through yourself in the bath. Okay, those are the challenges. That's everything I've got. I just want to pray for us right now, and then I think Kelly's going to come back, uh, which is lovely. So yes, I'll just pray for you right now. And maybe if you um, want to receive more of God, just be in a sort of receiving, like hold your arms out, sort of just, just signify, yes, God, I want to receive more of you. I want to receive more of your Holy Spirit. Um, Holy Spirit, Come. We know that you, you said, Jesus, that in, in the last days you quoted that old passage that you'll pour out your spirit. God will pour out his spirit on people generously. We know that you give your spirit without limit is what you teach us in your word. So Holy Spirit, come and pour out on us. We want more of you, God. We don't want to live off drips and scraps, but we want all of it. We want more of you. We want to enjoy and explore all the goodness of you through prayer and through your word, Lord. So come, pour out your spirit on us right now. And God, where we're 
uh, a little hungry for you, would you just increase that appetite? And God, where our hearts are hard, hard or cold or cautious to you, Lord, I just pray that you would soften our hearts. Make us ready. Make us want this. Help us to know your incredible love and just to soak in it, sit in it, live from that place. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.